the last few sessions, we have explored why we love God. We love God because He loved us and made a way for us and because He is worthy. Today, we're going to transition to a new question, and that is, how do we love God? And we find the answer here in the Shema. You can read it or recite it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. A couple of years back, my husband and I did something kind of fun. We were going through a hectic time of our lives. He was getting his PhD and working full time. And I was home with the two boys we had at the time, a toddler and an infant. And we knew that we wanted to prioritize our marriage through this very busy time. So we created a challenge. We called it the Vincent Love Challenge, and it was pretty simple. We just had three mason jars full of popsicle sticks. And one jar was ways to love Tim, that he contributed to all of his ideas, how he feels loved, that I got to pull from every now and again and show him that I love him. And there was a jar that was ways to love Jillian that I got to contribute ideas to that he pulled from to show me love from. And then we had a middle jar that was full of date night ideas and we both contributed to those just to make sure we were still spending quality time together during that craziness. So it really did a lot for our marriage because we learned so much about each other. And even though the challenge has ended, uh, we now know a lot more how the other feels loved. Now in the Bible, God is pretty, um, clear with us how he feels loved. He's got his popsicle sticks, if you will, all throughout scripture. We are not left to read his mind. We get to explore some of those popsicle sticks in the next few weeks in the Shema, starting today with taking a look how we listen and understand God, how God feels loved with that word, listen. This past week, you compared translations for your study tool. So we're going to review that now. We're going to start from the word-for-word -word translations and go across the spectrum all the way to thought-for-thought -thought translations of the Shema. And just for fun, I put the message paraphrase at the end just so you can see how different a paraphrase is from a translation. So starting with the New American Standard Bible, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The English Standard Version, which we've been using in our video, is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The New International Version says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Amplified says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, the only God. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and with all your soul and with all your strength, your entire being. Gotta love the Amplified. They don't leave anything out. And then there's the New Living Translation. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And here's the message paraphrase. Attention, Israel, God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. What did we learn from this exercise? Well, most translators agree on this passage. It's pretty universal from the word for word to the thought for thought translations. There's very little variance, which gives all the more strength to the message that a passage is trying to convey. Now, it's possible that even though translations are consistent, they could be consistently wrong. But just keep in mind uh, that there might not be a better way to translate it in the English language, which is why it's so helpful to use multiple tools in interpreting scripture. You'll see what I mean here when we get to word study, because the word soul that's translated in so many of our translations is quite literally the word throat when it comes to the Hebrew language. So you can see that translators really have a hard job in capturing the meaning of a passage. So remember just to leave room in your understanding when it comes to the original languages. What variances are in place exist because the Hebrew language is just different than the English. For instance, I'm going to read you this discussion from Tim Mackey at The Bible Project in his article, What is the Shema? The problem in translating and interpreting the Shema arises from the fact that it's made of two back-to-back sentences that lack the word is. In Hebrew, the prayer consists of four nouns in a row. Yahweh, Eloheinu, Yahweh, Echad. Lord, our God, Lord, one. As you can see, we've got four words, and depending on where you place the word is, you end up with different sentences. So it could be the Lord our God is one Lord. It could be the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It could be the Lord our God, the Lord is one. At the end of the day, the meaning between these options isn't drastically different, but the emphasis does change. Is it the point that the Lord is one and not many? Or is the emphasis on the fact that only the Lord is our God? Or does the Shema claim that Israel's God is one being? Or is it highlighting that the Lord alone is Israel's God and not any other? The last meaning seems to fit within the overall context of Deuteronomy much better. In other words, the Shema isn't trying to make a philosophical statement about God's essence or being that God is one. Rather, the Shema is a pledge of allegiance to the Lord God of Israel that excludes allegiance to any other gods. As you can see, Comparing translations and looking at the original language can help richen and refine your understanding of the meaning of a text. And Tim Mackey at the Bible Project pulls in the context as well to have uh, to show what emphasis makes most sense within the overall context of Deuteronomy. 
So again, the emphasis, which makes most sense with all these tools combined, is that the Lord alone is Israel's God and not any other. Today, I wanna to focus really intently on the first word of the Shema, because I think it begins to answer the question, how do we love God? When we look back at all those translations, the word Shema is translated either as listen, hear, or pay attention. In some translations, this word is accompanied by an exclamation point, either right after the word hear or at the end of that phrase, but there were not actually exclamation points in the Hebrew language. So why would a translator put it there? Well, how the Hebrew language emphasized something was to repeat it twice, and that's what is happening here. It says Shema Shema, or as the uh, Blue Letter Bible app says, Shema Shema. In every translation, it seems really pressing that the Israelites position themselves to hear what God is saying to them. Have you ever had your mom or your teacher say, I need your eyes or I need your ears? Sometimes I'll put my boy's face in my hands and say, I need your eyes, and they'll still be looking all around trying to avoid mine. The person is not just calling the others to listen because they want to make sure their ears are working, but they want them to act upon what they've heard. And you can tell if a minute later the mom is saying, did you even hear what I said? Because they're not doing what she's asked. Or do you remember the movie Sister Act when Whoopi Goldberg stomps on the floor and says, Alma, check your battery to her hearing impaired pianist. She doesn't want her just to hear her. She wants her to play. God isn't calling them to make sure the sound waves are hitting their ears, but to position themselves for receiving and then acting. To Shema, the Israelites must listen and obey. In fact, there is no separate word for obey in the Hebrew language. So even though our translations say listen, hear or pay attention, it just can't be left there. To Shema is to listen and to obey. So this is where we start to find our answer, how do we love God? We listen and obey. Curious, isn't it? Let's dig a little deeper. When we look at this word Shema, recall that in the tool of annotation that you can pick out themes by counting repeated words or phrases. According to the Blue Letter Bible app and Strong's Concordance, Shema is used 1,169 times in just the Old Testament across 1,072 verses. So it seems to me this is kind of important. We're just going to look at a few times that Moses uses this word here in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 4.1, he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. This is at the beginning of their call to obedience, and it's super important they not only hear this, but respond. It's a matter of life and death. So here's another element introduced to the movement. Listening leads to obeying leads to life. Listening leads to obeying leads to life. Deuteronomy 5.1, before the Ten Commandments, it says this, 
Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am proclaiming as you hear them today. Again, this is a call to listen so they can act upon what they hear. The listening doesn't stop once the voice of the Lord finishes giving these commands. They listen with their ears. They also listen with their actions as they respond to what they've heard. The response proved that they've heard in their hearts as well as in their ears. Deuteronomy 6.3 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, here we see listening includes doing something. To truly shema, they must hear and obey. They are called not just to pay attention, but to tend. So for the ancient Israelites, listen means listen and obey and live. There must be movement to their faith to love God. Let me ask you this. What if Tim and I just pulled one of those popsicle sticks, read it, and then discarded it on the dresser or in the trash? Didn't do anything about it. You would, as a witness to this callousness, question whether we really loved each other because we understood what the other desired and we didn't act upon it. Likewise, loving God will show up in our actions. What would God's popsicle sticks say when we pulled out of the jar ways to love God? Well, he just listed 10 ways in what we call the 10 commandments in Deuteronomy 5. He gives more commandments about life and worship throughout the rest of the book for the Israelites to follow. And each commandment followed is an expression of love. But we can't leave it with the Israelites because this is true for us too. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We love God by listening and obeying his commands. Just like the Israelites, when we obey God's call on our lives, we show him love. Now let's skip ahead to a time Moses uses the word Shema after Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 9.1, he says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven. God is not only telling them to listen, to learn how to love him. God is calling them to listen, to prepare them for what is ahead. When I'm in the car with my boys on the way to go places, I'm always trying to prepare them for what is ahead. I tell them what we're going to do, who we're going to see, anything they need to be aware of, any instructions that will keep them safe or give us a more pleasant time so they're not surprised or caught unaware in any given moment. This helps our experience, especially in new places, to go much better. God is calling them to listen because he's a loving father. He's preparing the Israelites for a life-giving experience in the land. So again, because this is a relationship, the listening is not only for them to show God love with their obedience, but for their good in every way as well. This listening is life-giving and life-changing for them. Which leads me to how does Moses use the word Shema 
in the Shema. Let's read it again. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He is prefacing a statement about the Lord that is life-changing. Moses wants them to listen to proclaim something about God, that he is Yahweh, the one true God, their true God, their God. Moses also wants them to listen to love him. If you really hear that Yahweh is God alone in your heart, then it will lead to a life orienting to, oriented to loving the one true God with everything. Seems here Moses is saying that an undivided attention leads to an undivided love. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding your attention. I also love what John Mark Comer has written in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. So God is saying, pay attention because I want you to know what I want you to become. I want you to focus on loving me so you will become a God lover. It begs the question of us, what is it that I am paying attention to? And what is that saying about who I am becoming? Do you remember the song, oh, be careful little eyes what you see, oh, be careful little eyes what you see, for the Father up above is looking down with love, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. And then there's another verse that's, oh, be careful little eyes what you hear. Remember that the information you take in has power over you. The word in form has the word form in it. What you expose yourself to can shape you. Remember that God is your maker and he wants to continue to form you. So when you give him your ears, your eyes, your heart, your brain, you're giving him your yes to do just that. There is something internally that's happening inside you when God is forming you and it results in true obedience. Yes, loving God means listening and obeying him, but this speaks to something that happens in the middle of listening and obeying, something that's so often overlooked, but really is very important. Think about this. Is it possible that someone could be listening and obeying, but they're not really shamaing <laughs> because it's not for the right reasons? Absolutely. That's what happens when it skips the step of the heart. When this step is skipped, what results is self-righteousness and self-worship. There is listening, there is action, but there's not the crucial middle step of giving God the territory or the soil of your heart. God sees and cares what is going on the inside of you. This leads me to look at how Jesus talked about the act of Shema'ing. I want to look at one instance in the Gospels where Jesus talks about those who listen but don't really Shema. 
That is, the sound waves hit their ears, but not their heart. And many of those people in Jesus's day were called Pharisees. You can find the entire passage in Matthew 13, 1 through 23. Here he compares the heart part of listening to the good soil where God can speak and that seed of God's word takes root and then sprouts and grows and produces fruit. In other words, the word is received and the heart cherishes the one who gives the words and then the words are made manifest into action. Here, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, when he says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Guess what the word here is in Isaiah? Shema. He says that those with hearts with good soil is the one who hears the word, understands it, bears fruit and yields. So the heart that receives and obeys is the one that has truly shemad. Because the heart not only receives the words, but the God who spoke them. That is the heart that's saying, you are God alone of this territory. Some, including the Pharisees, who were the righteous looking of the day, still in their heart of hearts did not worship God, but rather wanted to look like it. Yahweh was not God alone in the soil of the Pharisee heart. To Shema, you must listen to God. Let him captivate your whole heart and the overflow of your mouth and your actions will be a true obedience that gives God all the glory. This is what happens at the beginning of our relationship with Christ. That's how the relationship starts. And that's how the relationship develops from every moment after he first calls us to himself. He speaks his word to call us to faith, to increase our faith and to act upon that faith. I love what Paul says in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And when we continue to listen to God's voice through his word and through prayer, our faith is increased. That faith comes from spending time with him. And in that process, we're being strengthened by his presence and equipped for the journey ahead. I just want to pause and say all parts of this Shema life result from gifts from God. We can listen because God gave us his word and his Holy Spirit. We can cherish God in our hearts because he has softened our hearts to him and has given us good soil to receive. And we can obey because his Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives as we abide in him. This is a relationship that does not depend on your willpower or sufficiency to produce or perform any of these steps, but completely dependent on the grace of God who makes all these interactions with him possible in the first place. Remember, we love God because he made a way for us. I want that soil. I want that heart. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus, don't you? So with that view of grace in mind, we can move forward and talk about some practical application, talk about how we listen to learn about how to love God and to be shaped by him. 
Not many of us have the privilege to hear the audible voice of God like Moses did, but that doesn't mean God doesn't speak to us. He speaks to us through his word and the revelation of his word through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through prayer. He also speaks to us through other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. In Deuteronomy 6, we can see still today how we can apply uh, what God told the Israelites to do here. We can do this in our lives as well. So here are five ways I see in Deuteronomy 6 that we can listen to God. We intentionally seek God together. Listening is a team sport. Moses is addressing the entire nation of Israel here. He calls them to repeat these words to their kids in the coming generations. We listen to the Lord together when we open his word together, pray together, go to church and hear from our pastor together. He wants us to begin and leave a legacy of listening with those he has called us to disciple. Now it's clear throughout the whole council of scripture that listening alone is a huge way we listen to God as well. This is evidenced by Jesus himself who treasured his times alone with God in solitude. In this passage, however, God is asking Israel to listen together as he addresses them as a whole community. I believe you're doing that right now within this Bible study and I'm cheering you on. Secondly, we can intentionally commit these words to heart. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. And Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We listen to God when we memorize and meditate upon his word. The Holy Spirit then brings that word to mind when we need them. We need the written word of God to discern the living word of God speaking through the Holy Spirit. The third and fourth I put together, we can intentionally make God's word the highlight of our conversations and make them a part of our daily rhythms. Both of these ways I see in Deuteronomy 6, 7, where Moses says they are to talk of them when they sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up making them a part of our conversations and daily rhythms. And lastly, intentionally placing those words where you will see them the most. Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9 says, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Many Jewish people took this command very uh, literally and put God's word in their scriptures and the little phylacteries on their forehead, on their forehead or on their hands. You might do these things today by listening to your Bible app on the way to take your kids to school, putting a three by five in your bathroom mirror, singing a memory verse song, or some of my friends have even gotten tattoos. You might simply leave your Bible open on your counter. You just want to give your eyes a feast of God's word by placing it in front of you wherever you go. Did you catch the commonality in each way I see the Israelites called to listen? Intentionally. This listening doesn't happen by accident. The Israelites' lives are to be structured to listen to God. 
I also noticed that this pattern of listening to God doesn't end with 15 minutes of devotions in the morning. This is a great start. But frankly, this one interaction with God is not nearly enough to cultivate the kind of relationship he wants to have with you that he offers to us. What Deuteronomy 6 is describing is not only a morning moment of listening, but a life oriented towards communing with God, even in the silent moments where your private thoughts can turn towards loving God. I love what Brother Lawrence wrote in his book, Practicing the Presence of God. He writes, we have to know someone before we can truly love him. In order to know God, we must think about him often. Once we get to know him, we will think about him even more often because where our treasure is, there also is our heart. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but from there you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. God promises his people that when they intentionally seek him, they will find him. And when we intentionally listen, we will hear. How do we love God? We love God by listening to him, cherishing him in our hearts and obeying him. Dayton Women in the Word exists to help women read their Bibles. If you have been blessed by our ministry and free resources, would you please consider giving a donation at DaytonWomenInTheWord.com slash donate. Oh, he-